Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Welcome. Uh, this is horrible. Um, <laughs> <laughs> as an introduction, let me just say the blood has drawn from my face as Matt so graciously has been sitting here. <laughs> We've had an excellent discussion for the past 24 minutes. I had I did not start the broadcast, and um, I, I should not be allowed to do podcast anymore. My wife's going to be thrilled about that. Um, so let's, let's run it back. I said a lot of really dumb things that in the second time I want to redact. So let's, so let's, let's, run it back. let's jump into it a little bit. Um, Matt, I appreciate it. I know it's a lot later out there on the East coast than it is here in uh, Texas, but, uh, the Orioles lose a close one, two to four, uh, Keegan Aiken took the mound through, uh, through four innings gave up. Uh, I think he did give up three runs. The Orioles only able to score two off of a Trey Mancini home run. Uh, we talked about it a little bit. Um, you know, we, we saw Ke- we saw Keegan Aiken throw four. He, he got real close to 100 pitches, uh, and then we saw Tyler Wells come in again. Still, you know, I think this was the first kind of pressure situation for Tyler Wells. Uh, but it was good to see him come in, have two solid innings. Uh, he did give up two hits, but he also had three strikeouts. Uh, we then saw Cole Solcer come in for an inning and a third, uh, gave up one run. Uh, that was kind of rough to see. And then we saw Paul Fry come in and close it out. Um, you know, not a lot of hits for the Orioles. We had a total of three hits, one from Mancini, one from Anthony Santander, a little bloop there, and then one from Pedro Severino. Uh, we also saw a lot of strikeouts. I know that uh, that your your brother Josh likes to talk about, you know, you know, on, on days where we have more hits than strikeouts, we tend to win those games. Look like we, uh, we had eight strikeouts today, two from Mullins, uh, three from Austin Hayes on his return, uh, one from Michael Franco, and then one apiece from Santander and, and uh, Ryan Mountcastle. Uh, all in all, um, you know, the all the, the entire game. What do you think? How how did the Orioles look? I know we had a decent home stand. We're now on the road, starting it off in uh, Tampa Bay at the Trop. What did you think? How did the Orioles look? Yeah, I mean, my first takeaway is you know we just got done facing Taiwan Walker. And now we got Ryan Yarbrough, and it's just a tough combination of starting, like just really quality starting pitchers. Yarbrough's coming up a, a complete game, um, and he had our pitcher, he had our hitter swinging at this outside changeup that was. I remember Austin Hayes on his first strikeout; it was like three feet outside. And so, and when you know when the ball is that outside, and, and you're swinging at him, and not just our bad hitters, right? This isn't just you know uh, Severino chasing these balls; like these are good hitters. And you know Yabro is doing something right. And so I thought it was a great pitching performance. And we're just kind of unfortunate that we were playing well offensively. And then we came up against two really hot, good pitchers. I think that's part of it. Um, and we can get into the kick and ache and stuff. But I thought, I mean, this Rays team, 
it's just a really feisty lineup. Like you could, you could, you could walk away and, and go to your fridge and get a beer when the Orioles are up. Come back and the Orioles are not up anymore because their at bats are happening so quickly. Meanwhile, the Rays innings are lasting 20, 30 minutes every Rays inning. It feels like when the Rays are up um, because they're fouling off pitches, they're getting on base almost every single inning, and so even. Um, and I know you tweeted something like this out, but even when even when we were up, it felt like we were just kind of, you know, our finger was in the dam and it was waiting to all come rushing at us and we're ready to lose it. So I thought a, a decent effort by Keegan Aiken, a good effort by our bullpen, uh, but this is a story of our offense being unable to generate any kind of um, runs to and hits to compete with the Rays tonight. And I feel like that's been the story for the Orioles for, especially during the losing streak and, and, and really all season long, that on days when the pitching gives a decent performance, uh, the guys at the plate just don't back them up. There's there's just no run support. And then on days when the you know the guys are are hitting the the crap out of the ball and we're putting up ten plus runs, uh, you know those are the, also the same days that the guys are are pitching close to no hitters. So it doesn't seem that we can find that nice middle ground that would provide us, you know, to see a decent outing by a pitcher, somebody that gives up maybe three, four runs. And, you know, while at the same time seeing us, uh, our guys offensively, maybe score six or seven runs. It just doesn't seem like we can put those two things together. Um, yeah. And yeah, and that's probably kind of where we are as a team right now, right? Where we're at, at times we can hit well, but we're not consistent enough and we're not good enough to go up against these top pitchers um, and win these close games. Our pitching is not good enough, and our hits is not, not good enough. I mean, this. I mean, I think during that 14-game lo- 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 losing streak, it, it felt like we constantly got runners on base, but we just couldn't get the runners in. In this game, like we couldn't even get the runners on base for getting them in. We couldn't get them on base to then hit them in. Um, so it was it was a very, I thought, a typical Rays Orioles game in the sense that the Rays pitch like they always do really well against us. They pitch really well against everybody, um, and their offense just kind of wears you down and gets to the bullpen, and then and then scores runs. They they did what I, they do. I I think the the one stat that probably you know we don't have to look at because I know it's it's often a a poor stat for the Orioles is you know how we hit with runners in scoring position. The good news is tonight we just didn't have any runners in scoring position, so I don't think that we ever had <laughs> uh, you know that many opportunities. Um, you know, yeah. one of the things that that I looked at and. I, I felt like watching the game, and maybe this is just my mindset. Wh- what do you think about the the strike zone box? Do you, if you could turn that off, would you have a better enjoyable experience than having that box on on, on the screen? Oh, that's interesting, right? Because, and I'm the kind of guy who on close pitch calls, like I don't trust the box. But then I go to like the at bat app to see where the at bat had it, as if that's a more reliable box that's on the at bat app. <laughs> so I'll even go there to check it out. Um, so yeah, I, I, I like it. I think it's, it's not perfect. I think that's why it's sometimes frustrating because it's not perfect, but I, but I like, it gives you some idea of like how the umpire is doing, even if it's not wholly accurate. So I kind of like it. One of the things that, that I kind of noticed is that on, on pitches that were, especially for Keegan Aiken on pitches that were really close where I feel like maybe he should have got that called or, or according to the box, it was, you know, it, it kind of lit it up as a, as a strike, but the, the, uh, the umpire didn't call it, you know, I, and I felt like the next pitch after that, it wasn't going to go well, that, that mm. especially with our guys, and maybe it's something for Keegan, that I just didn't feel like these guys were able to kind of take on that additional adversity, like, hey, I, I didn't get a call go my way, um, you know, I, I either have to really compensate for that and throw something that's going to be, you know, for sure a strike, and again, that that's typically when uh, the Rays tee up on it. 
Um, but it, it, I just didn't have a lot of confidence that these guys were going to be able to come back from a call that didn't go their way. Um, yeah. but maybe that, maybe that's me. Well, and listen, I can't, to be honest, I can't really tell like they're as far as our receiving, like the catchers framing or receiving, whatever you call it, framing or receiving, like apparently <laughs> the data shows that Severino and Cisco was even worse and Severino is not good. Our catchers aren't good at framing and receiving the ball to get more strike calls. To me, it looks like he's moving his hand to try to get the strike call, but like clearly the data shows he's not, they're not good at it. And so I think part of it is, is you're right. There is some frustration that maybe other teams get more of these borderline calls than the Orioles do because the Orioles catchers aren't as good as the other catchers. There could be something to that. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, one of the things that I was excited to see was how well Austin Wins does. And I do think Austin Wins is a little bit better behind the plate. Um, I feel like he has uh, he's able to kind of calm some of these guys down uh, when they start to get into a little bit of trouble. That wasn't the case uh, with Matt Harvey, but I do feel like he's done a really good job with uh, Jorge Lopez the last time those two were out together. It'll be interesting to see if he gets the call tomorrow. I know that uh, Lopez is on the mound for the Orioles. Um, yeah, and if we can transition, speaking of Austin's, Austin Hayes made his uh, return to return uh, tonight for the Orioles. And though he didn't have an offensive impact, man, he's fun to watch in the outfield. He got an outfield assist at second, and then he took – there was another ball, bounced off the wall, barehanded it, and threw it back to second to keep uh, the guy at first. So uh, it's it's good to see Austin Hayes back in the outfield for the Orioles. I, you know, you can't ask for a better defensive outfield than Austin Hayes, Cedric Mullins, and Anthony Santander right now. Um, I, I'm pretty sure that Anthony's better than DJ Stewart uh, out in right field. I'm not sure how you feel about that, but um, absolutely, uh, you know, it was a, a it was a bit disappointing to see him at the plate. Uh, yeah. Austin goes, let's see here, uh, four appearances, three strikeouts. Yeah, it was bad. <laughs> <laughs> and there was a couple really bad ones. And, and you know, yeah. it's interesting because when they talked about how you know he was doing his rehab assignment, I think he played two games. Uh, he had eight at bats at Norfolk, uh, where he was only one for eight. Uh, that one hit was a home run. Uh, but you know, it kind of made me think like, is, is the rehab assignment more just kind of getting out there and making sure that your body feels good, regardless of how well you hit or actually play? Yeah, I think that's the case for someone like Austin Hayes, that they just wanted him back in the majors. He can figure it out on, on the major field. They're not, I don't think they're really worried about what he does as long as he's healthy. And I saw I saw a couple of interesting things notes about Austin Hayes. At first, I saw someone tweet, my boy Con- Con- Connor, tw- he tweeted this, and I assume this is true. I don't know why I would lie about it, <laughs> that Santander and Mullins and Hayes have only played together five games this year, um, which makes sense with the Santander injury at the, at the beginning of the season and now with the Hayes injury, but only played together five games. And this could be a good outfield, but they haven't had a chance this year to play together. Um, and, I think it's going to be a great outfield, and you're right. Yeah. That is shocking that they've only, that this is only the fifth game that they've played together. Uh, I mean, people forget that Anthony Santander was was considered or up in the category for a Gold Glove. Was that last year, or 2000 in 2020 or 2019? Uh, there was talk of him in in the Gold. Of course, you know when you're going up against Mookie Betts, uh, there's not a strong you know you don't, that, that's kind of a you know everybody's playing for second, but um, but yeah, he's a great outfielder. Um, so having all three of those guys finally out there, that, that is a, that's a, a, an impressive outfield. Yeah. And we saw, I mean, and they do different things well, right? Like Mullins is his speed and jumps. There's no one better in baseball. I think about getting jumps and the speed to, to the baseball. 
And Austin Hayes showed, 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 showed it today. He has speed, but he also has a great arm. And his great arm um, is what makes him such, I think, a great a great fielder out there. So, yeah, it was – even though the results offensively weren't there, a couple nice defensive plays, and it's good to have – I want to see for an extended period of time an Austin Hayes, Cedric Mullins, Santander uh, outfield. And the other thing about Austin Hayes I want to mention, this is interesting. I saw that there is, like, a health plan now for Austin Hayes kind of laid out for the rest of the season – how they're going to keep this guy healthy. Because it is. It's a, it's a huge question mark. We see this happen with players all the time where they just can't stay healthy enough. I mean, there's a couple guys in the Orioles organization right now. Hunter Harvey, right, who I know he's back, but just has not been able to stay healthy. You, you use Neil Diaz is something I think in the minors everyone's excited to see using Neil Diaz. But again, has not been able to stay healthy. Austin Hayes, the same situation. Repeatedly, it's not the same thing. It's different things every time. But repeatedly unable to stay healthy. So hopefully, like that's, for Austin Hayes, I don't even care about the three strikeouts, to be honest. Hunter Harvey, I don't even care that much about the results. Like, I want to see these guys just play play healthy throughout the rest of the season. That's kind of the main thing with those guys. I, I'm right there with you. I wonder if you caught the piece about Tyler Wells. As he was coming off the mound, I can't remember if it was uh, Kevin Brown or, um, or Jim Palmer. I, I think it was probably Kevin Brown. Uh, who mentioned that uh, Tyler Wells had moved to a keto diet. Did you catch yes, that? Yes, I saw that. That, that uh, evidently it helps him kind of uh, keep some weight off and he feels like he's a bit leaner and he's performing a little bit well. Uh, you know, how, What do you think of Tyler Wells? Do you, do you like him in this current role? Do you think he's, you know, do you think he's starter material is, is kind of where I want to go with that. I actually think that, that he has the, the, the makeup to be a starter. I, I like what I've seen from Tyler. Each time he goes out, I feel like I get more impressed, uh, and I, I, I want to see him give it, you know, get a chance rather than see Matt Harvey come out, you know, another time. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I ne- that's interesting, right? I never really thought of him as a starter. Did he come as a starter from? Uh, I guess his last time he played was Double A or Single A, wherever he played last. I'm pretty uh, sure. I'm pretty sure both him and Max Roller were both starters uh, okay. in in Double A. Okay. Um, because when it comes to the rule five, first of all, it's hard for me to get past the bitterness of Zach Pop. But if you look at the numbers, like Tyler Wells is far outperforming Zach Pop, who I think last time I checked had a year around seven for Miami. Um, and so it's really good to see a rule five. I mean, you don't see this very often. You don't see it. Like you don't see rule five guys who haven't pitched above double A or whatever it is come over to, to, to the majors and have success right, right away. Like usually – the whole thing with Tyler Wells and Stroller, this is more true of, where you just try to hide them for the entire season to get them in your minor, league, minor system, and then and then you can kind of use them as you want to use them. But Tyler Wells, we're seeing, I think, yeah, I'm hide, right there with you. you know, the, using the him more and with, more. Uh, I've, yeah. I've got a little Wi-Fi outage here. Are you back with me? Yes, I'm back with you. No, but I was just saying that I think we see um, Hyde being more and more confident to use Wells more and more, which bodes well for maybe this potential switch over if you want to go the starter route. Because Harvey's days are numbered. I agree with you there. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because you look at the roles that the Orioles bullpen, you know, the, the different roles that guys are playing. Adam are Plutko, interesting right now, yeah. Well, you, you got Adam Plutko as a, as a long man, right? I mean, he's going in there typically, you know, typically in cleanup duty or mop-up duty for whatever mess Matt Harvey's left us in. Um, <laughs> we just, we've gotten rid of, of Sean Armstrong, who was another long, you know, long arm, you know, two, three innings if need be. Uh, and that seems to be the fit that Tyler Wells has come in. You know, each time he goes out, he's doing at least two innings. 
I would have really liked to see him come out and do a third. I'm trying to think who else in the who else in the bullpen can go longer than a single inning. You know, we've got guys like Paul Fry, Tanner Scott. Valdez seems to do two occasionally, or at least more than a single inning. Uh, Hunter Harvey, I think, is going to be another one-inning guy. If you like Dylan Tate is a one-inning guy, maybe if he does a, a decent job, you can bring him out for uh, beyond that. Um, yeah, we, we saw Solcer tonight pitch an inning and then a third of an inning before Fry came in. What do you think of Cole Solcer? I see, see, if you asked me this last year, I would have said he's a bum. If you asked me this year, I'm a big fan of him. Though I, part of me thinks this is the way of bullpen arms, right? So, like – quick trade him before he turns into a, turns into a pumpkin <laughs> again. Um, because I don't know, I don't have a lot of confidence in Cole Seltzer, but that's partly because just I'm biased from his closer experience last year. Um, as far as bullpen options though, you know, like I, I'd rather see like Fry, I think is, I have more confidence in Fry than anybody else. Tanner Scott. I don't know. Like I want to see Tanner Scott pitch to the first batter before I tell you how much confidence I have Tanner <laughs> Scott. Cause he, he does a little Jekyll and Hyde stuff. Uh, as far as low, like that is a great low. description for uh, for Tanner Scott Jekyll or Hyde. Yeah, yeah, but but I mean this year Cole Cole Saucer outside outside of of, of Fry has been our most consistent reliever I think, and so and he uh, so yeah so I, I I I mean we saw tonight a lot of our our top bullpen arms right we 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 saw Saucer and we also saw Fry who is our best bullpen arm at this point. Um, so yeah, I'm 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 I like Saucer. Uh, I'm okay if they trade him at the deadline, if they feel like they can get some back for him. Um, I don't know how long this will last, but, you know, it's going well now. So, right. And I think the bullpen is so interesting to me because Valdez went from a closer to now I feel like he can go two innings. Um, and people always talk also about Valdez's potential as a starter, which I don't know how I feel about that. Harvey, I feel like, has no role in this bullpen right now. He just kind of gets thrown in there like yeah. whenever you need someone, but he doesn't have a specific role. And um, we all thought was, that Harvey was going to be the closer, you know, yes. coming into the year. That's what we thought his role would be. Yes, but I think injuries have gotten in the way of that, and so I think they're now like just they don't want to pitch him in back-to-back nights. They don't want to pitch him too much. Um, he's kind of a middle a middle bullpen arm, but like I don't think they want to pitch him multiple innings because again, health concerns. Um, and so it'd be interesting to watch if they start pushing Harvey back to later and later innings if he pitches effectively. Something something interesting to watch. So we talked about this before, back when um, when I forgot to hit the uh, the broadcast. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But let, let's kind of bring it up again today. Uh, you know, looking through the game, we talked a little bit about you know if there was one moment in the game that we could change, one moment that could have turned the game. And, and what's interesting about baseball is that there's you know you, you could take you know uh, several one of those. You know, you could take it with uh, with Yarbrough's pitch to uh, uh, to Trey Mancini that he that he hit out of the park that low uh, kind of golf you know tee shot. Uh, but the one piece, you know, you had something uh, that kind of came up when, when when Keegan was. But if there was one moment in the game that you thought had gone a little bit differently uh, and the Orioles come out on top, what would that be? Yeah, and I'll mention Keegan in a second, and I'm not going to steal your thunder either. But to your point, in that eighth, eighth inning, Cedric Mullins, after Valeka, Cedric Mullins hit, hit this uh, ball that was maybe a foot or two away oh. from being a double. Um, but it, it wasn't to be, and that kind of goes to your point where this game can be a, just a game of a if the ball is fair or foul by a foot. Um, but but no, it was it was in the fourth inning. Um, it was uh, it was when Brandon Lau, Brandon Lau hit the home run. It was a one-two count, right when he hit the home run. Jim Palmer said in the broadcast, like Kikin Aiken at this point, like he can't throw a strike. He's got to throw something out of the zone. 
because Brandon Lau has been struggling, pitch something out of the zone, he'll swing at it, but he throws a strike almost right down the middle, a little bit low, but almost right down, down the middle. Brandon Lau crushes it, um, and that gave the Rays the lead. So for me, that was kind of the the moment in the game. What about well, you, Cody? So I, I, just a little bit after that, so we see, we see Mullins get on base, and then we see Trey Mancini walk. Um, and, and so we've got two guys on base. It's a 4-2 game. Yeah, this Anthony's, is the eighth inning, right? Eighth inning, Anthony yeah. Santander comes up to the plate, and I, I actually start to feel like, okay, this is the moment that the Orioles need. This is the moment where – you know, we can't let these things be too big for us. That it doesn't have to be a home, it doesn't have to be a three-run home run, uh, but it has to be contact. It has to be something that kind of gives us a chance late in the games. And and I I felt like we had that last year. Something that I liked about the 2020 Orioles is that I felt like we had a shot. You know, at the later stages of the game, in the in the you know seventh, eighth, and ninth inning, there were so many times where we actually you know had some offense come alive. I haven't seen that tonight. And sure enough, Anthony Santander gets up there. Uh, this, the, you know, the, the scene is set an opportunity to, to drive in so, uh, you know, at least one run to, to give us a little bit of life. And Anthony swings at the first pitch, a change up that he pops up into shallow right field. And then that's it. And and then I felt like, okay, well then you got the bottom of the order coming up in the ninth and, and we saw what happened yeah. and, and there was nothing there well, and I, until, until just, the Orioles can yeah. get to that. Say goodbye your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. <laughs> Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. A place where they can kind of seize on that moments and, and bring back whatever we had last year that where we had some offense, we saw some offense in the lighter part of the innings. You know, I, I think we're going to continue to struggle in these games. Yeah. And it wasn't just the results of Santander popping up. It was the, it, it was the whole process, right? Because Valeka walked, you know, no pitchers trying to walk Pat Valeka <laughs> with a four, two lead. Like no one's trying to walk like that is a sign that you have control issues. Then Mancini comes up a couple of batters later. Mancini comes up and walks. I think it's on four pitches. It might've been five, but it was on four or five pitches. That's the context for Santander's bat. bat yeah. They take the first pitch and pops it up. Like, yeah. You, you can't do that. Like that's just bad baseball. Um, and, and it was uncompetitive at bat. And you're right. He's our cleanup guy. There was a big moment in the game. We have, we didn't have any, many moments like that with a running scoring position. We had two runners on. Um, and you're right. That was a big moment for the Orioles. Do you think that that's him just not realizing kind of the situation? And does that go back to coaching or is that him pulling the trigger on something that he saw that wasn't there? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like we haven't seen Santander in, in, uh, in key situations. I mean, he's not a very, like if this, if this is Ryan Mountcastle, we would brush it off. Oh, he's a young hitter. Doesn't have that many at bats. Santander has been around a while now. 
Um, he doesn't have that excuse anymore, just being a young hitter. Um, but, but, but yeah, I'm sure he was sitting on something. But I think it was an off-speed pitch too, like a changeup. Like I don't yep. think he's sitting on a changeup uh, to 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 walk to the plate. Like he's looking for a he's looking for a fastball, right? Like if you're Santander, right? Mancini just walked. Guy does not control the strike zone. You would think, all right, he's going to groove a fastball over to me because he doesn't want to get behind behind on the plate, behind on the count after just walking someone. So you're looking for him to groove one over for you. And maybe that was what Santander was thinking, so he just ended up swinging at anything because he expected him to groove one over for him. But, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know what Santander is thinking, but the results were not good. So we talked a little bit about this back when it was you and I, and we thought we were broadcasting. <laughs> I thought we were broadcasting. Us, yeah. We talked a little bit about the difference between Brandon Hyde and uh, – and I'm blanking now, Cash. What, what's the, the – Kevin Cash. Yeah. Kevin Cash. Uh, and, and again, Kevin Cash has been around for a long time. I, I think that by all standards, he's probably a better manager. But some of the things that, I, that came across my mind during the game was, one, Jim Palmer seems really bright. Um, would Jim Palmer make an excellent manager, in your opinion? Uh, can we get a Jim Palmer-Rick Dempsey combination? Um, I, I, Do you I get mean, that I, feeling watching the game that he knows all the right moves? Or is that just he comes off that way? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think there's a lot of people, and this is my opinion. I think there's a lot of people who can make the right moves. Like I think Buck Showalter, right? Like I think he can make the right moves. I think Jim Palmer can make the right moves. Like I, I think it's, I don't. If you're talking about like making, you know, making the right call as far as you know what pitch to throw or uh, what batter to play in a certain situation or when to pinch hit or when to pull another pitcher, um, I think there's a lot of guys who could do that. I think the great managers are able to do things kind of like behind the scenes that motivate their players, um, that put their players in the right positions to succeed. And there's so much that happens kind of off script, plus the lack of talent with the Orioles, that it's really hard for me to really assess the job that Brandon Hyde is doing. Um, Kevin Cash has a track record, but he also has the roster, um, where manager Hyde does not have the track record, nor does he have the roster. So it's really, it's hard for me to assess how well he's doing or how poorly he's doing. That, yeah, I get that. I get that. You know, we talked a little bit, and now I can't remember if it was before we recorded or, or after. <laughs> yeah, I know, we're at that but point. We, we, we talked about uh, this great outfield that we now have. We have Austin Hayes back, who's absolutely incredible. We saw him get yeah. uh, an incredible uh, uh, an assist there off of a, a double that he barehanded off the wall. Cedric Mullins is playing absolutely all-star caliber center field. Uh, and then we have Anthony Santander uh, over in right field, who I was trying to remember if it was 2020 before he got hurt, if he was in consideration for a gold glove, or if that was 2019. Uh, either way, we've got, a, we've got a very solid outfield now. Where does that leave DJ Stewart, in your opinion? Uh, and we didn't see uh, – DJ Stewart did not play today. Um, and we also I, optioned uh, Ryan McKenna back down to Norfolk. So you right. know, we, our, our extra outfielder, to my knowledge, is is just DJ Stewart, uh, and then Ryan Mountcastle and um, Trey Mancini basically trading off between first base and DH. Yeah, and it made sense, right, with the lefty. But then, like DJ Stewart didn't start, and there was a lefty on the mound, so that makes sense. But then also, like, in what situation when I have Hayes healthy? Mullins healthy, Santander healthy, along with Mountcastle and, and Mancini doing the DH first thing. In what world does Stewart even get in that bat with that lineup and that outfield, right? Like to me, DJ Stewart is, if I line up those five guys, he's number six in the best, 
best option. Now, if you want to give Austin Hayes some rest because of the injury concerns or whatever, I get that. Um, but but to, I know uh, Santander has some ankle stops. So for me, Stewart very much now is the is the when guys need a day off, Stewart's the guy. It's not a platoon situation. It's not anything like that. It's just when a guy needs a day off. I think Stewart is kind of a step behind. And Stewart, Stewart, like don't don't come apologizing for Stewart because he had plenty of opportunities between the Santander injury and the Hayes injury to make his mark, right, and to make an argument that he should be in that outfield. And I, for me, he didn't make a strong enough argument. So when when I look at the numbers, when I look at uh, so DJ Stewart's had 135 at bats. Austin Hayes has, has had 123 at bats. Austin Hayes has um, 31 hits, and DJ Stewart has 30 hits. Now, <laughs> again, it, it, they're they're very similar. I think, I, and yeah. So I'm just I my and guess Stewart is, is that it, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, my guess is is that I could see Hyde doing a platoon situation. You know, because Hayes bats righty and, and Stewart's a lefty. If if we're facing a right-handed pitcher tomorrow, I am not going to be surprised to see DJ Stewart in the lineup. I, I just get a feeling that Hyde likes that matchup. That's why I think that we saw Pat Vileko over Stevie Wilkerson over at second base. And that's a, occasionally like when we had a, a righty and a lefty catcher, that's when you would see more days with Cisco behind the plate on, on days that we faced at a right-hand pitcher. Um, obviously yeah, now I, we don't have that option, but it's going to be interesting to see what happens when that opportunity arises. Yeah, it will be interesting. And I mean, I would argue that Hayes, even going 0 for 4 with three strikeouts, still made an impact on the game with his glove. And I don't think, I don't know if, if DJ Stewart can have that same impact on the game when he's not hitting, um, that Austin Hayes can have even when he's not hitting. Hey, speaking of the defense, though, I thought, and, and he gets some criticism, but Michael Franco, I thought, played an excellent defensive game tonight. And he seems to me, and I know he has this rap for being a, a bad defensive player, but for me, he seems to have a strong arm and make some really good plays. He had that nice pl- diving catch that was reviewed, and somehow it's still he was still called out even after the review. And then that that nice ball where he chased down over the over the uh, uh, the the bullpen or whatever. Yep. So I thought I thought Michael Franco defensively played really well tonight. I'm right there with you. I think it's been uh, definitely. I feel like it's been an upgrade over last year seeing Rio Ruiz at third base, um, and I think that. You know, we saw Franco hit the the monster home run. What was that? Two two three days ago. Yeah, the second deck. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, and I feel like he's coming alive a little bit more. You know, we, I think for for the rest of the year, we're always going to compare. We're always going to look at Freddie Galvis and Michael Franco in the same light. They they you know came at the same time. They were both kind of just these free agent mercenaries that we know are going to only be here for a year. Freddie Galvis actually hitting for a, a a much better average and seems to be a little bit more consistent, um, but. I feel like right now Michael Franco is the more exciting guy to watch. Yeah, I mean, I, he does. Have, he, he has more power in his, in his bat, and he's defensively he's made some exciting plays. I mean, the numbers, Miguel Fra- uh, M- M- Michael Franco's numbers are disappointing offensively, to the point where like we're in June now, right? So this is not even like a slump. Like he's having a bad offensive season, and every now and then he'll go on like two or three game kind of a little spurt where you realize, okay, this is the, why we signed this guy. But overall, I mean, Franco is not the answer at third base. And, and, and Galvis is not the long-term answer at shortstop either, let's be honest. And Stevie Wilkerson or Blake is not the answer, long-term answer at second base either. 
So we have all these filling guys in our infield. We talk about how great our outfield is. And I think that could be our outfield in two years from now, three years from now, that could be the same outfield. I think our infield, second, short, and third, will be completely different even next year, right? Oh, absolutely. And it's exciting to see these guys down at Bowie and, and, and Norfolk even to see who's going to be the next guy to step up because there's a there's an open competition there. Uh, I will say I did want to kind of look at the uh, ESPN shows the, the last you know five or six games for these guys. Last game against the Mets, Franco had two hits, uh, one double. Uh, the night before that, he had two hits, one double and one monster home run. Uh, it only says home run. It should say monster home run on there. <laughs> uh, and the night before that against the Indians, when we won 18 to five, you know, everybody had a hit and he had two hits, uh, including two RBIs. So I think that you're right. I think Frank, Franco had, he, he's, he just started out so poorly, not only in, um, you know, uh, April and May that uh, it, it's just been June that he's really been hitting the ball. Uh, you know, I think he's just kind of barely stayed, you know, hit enough not to call up somebody from AAA, but maybe he's on, maybe he's ready for a bit more of a run. Maybe he's got something that he's starting to, to key in a little bit more. Um, it got off topic. We were talking a little bit about, uh, about managers and whether or not, um, uh, you know, Jim Palmer would make a good manager. Uh, there was, I was listening to another podcast, uh, this morning, they were talking about Buck Britton. I'm not sure if you've kind of heard that news. You know, Buck Britton's one of those guys that's been around in the organization for a long time, currently managing um, the Bowie Bay Sox. And I've seen a bunch of these mic'd up episodes uh, that's out on YouTube. I think they're actually kind of old, but it's it's mic'd up with like um, uh, Henderson, um, Gunnar Henderson. I think they mm -hmm. had another one with Adley Rutschman. Uh, Ryan McKenna was mic'd up for one of them. But they're all interacting with um, with Buck Britton. And it's interesting because if he doesn't get promoted, and I don't know what that means for a manager, it, does he want to be the manager of Norfolk? But do you think that the Orioles might take a chance on a, a younger guy like Buck Britton here in the next two to three years? Oh, it's such an inter interesting question, Cody. And I have, in as kind of philosophy, I'm more in favor of that than I am of bringing Jim Palmer, a guy with no managing experience <laughs> from the booth and putting them in in in, in, in and in that role, I'd rather someone kind of work their way up the ranks, even former players, right? And Buck Britton, I think a former minor league player, I don't think he ever mentioned the majors, um, but a former minor league player kind of work up the ranks. Um, so it's, yeah, it, it's kind of interesting, interesting thing about, it, right? Because Bowie has had so much success this year. I think they still hold the best record in all the minors right now. Um, and we talk about kind of bringing up Adley and DL Hall and Adley Rutschman kind of together, this kind of core up to AAA. Well, why not kind of promote Buck Britton along with this core of Adley and Grayson and DL as you kind of promote them to AAA? Um, that's it's just interesting. I never really thought thought about it before, Cody, but that's an interesting idea. You know, and and we had somebody kind of comment here, James uh, O'Donnell. You know, no reason to promote Buck to anything. He's great. Hyde is great. Keep him keep him where they are. Yeah. yeah. You know what I thought thought's interesting though is that you know. Guys like Grayson Rodriguez, Dale Hall, and Adley Rutschman, they're under contract. You know, they're not going anywhere for, for seven or eight years. That's not the same with Buck Britton. I mean, if somebody comes in and makes him a, a big enough offer, um, maybe it's something – maybe it doesn't necessarily have to be the the, uh, the skipper of the of a AAA team. You know, coming and be a bench coach or a third base coach for a major league baseball team, is that a better offer? Uh, and could the Orioles afford to lose somebody like that? Because it does seem like he's been able to resonate very well with these younger guys. They're obviously responding to him. And one of the things that I get nervous about 
is these younger guys that come from this winning environment coming up to the Orioles and, and something's not matching because the Orioles are obviously not winning. Um, and how does that affect them? How does that affect somebody like Ryan Mountcastle, uh, who is player of the year in Norfolk, you know, is used to kind of, you know, playing on championship caliber teams and then coming to an organization where, you know, that same spirit's not there. And, and does that hurt his development? Yeah. Well, and I mean, and Trey Mancini, I remember Trey Mancini was on, was on a Bowie Baysox team that won the championship several years back. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, the, 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 those are questions that are really hard to, to quantify kind of what impact does, does losing. And I don't think one season of losing impacts Brad Mancastle at all. But when you have, you're right, when you have this kind of organization that have lost repeatedly and the expectations are you to lose, right? Like we think, and a lot of people think manager has, has done a great job. Like, <laughs> what's his record, right? Like if he, was, if he was managing in any other city, right, that was actually trying to win, he would have been chasing the town already, right? Like the only reason that we think Hyde is, is doing a great job is because we have no expectations for this major league club to win right now. And what effect does that have? I don't know. I don't know. If, if you call up an Adley Rutschman right now, we're not winning that many more games. So what effect does that have on him? Uh, like maybe nothing, uh, but but maybe it does take some psych psychological toll um, over a long period of time. I don't know. It's an interesting question. You know, the other thing that I started looking at, I know that everybody wants to call for guys like Adley Rutschman to be called up, D.L. Hall to be called up, um, Grayson Rodriguez, you know, all these guys that are, um, you know, at Bowie right now that we're, you know, high on the prospect Our list. Top prospect, sure, yeah. You know, and, and I know that the other top, the other you know argument against that is no don't, no need to rush them, um, you know, just wait it out. The, they'll let them kind of go through that full year. The thing that I wonder is, you know, how much if you sit down and talk to these guys, especially the guys that weren't, and I'm not sure how many guys weren't, you know, top first round or second round picks. But, you know, the thing that I started thinking about minor league baseball, and, and I was thinking about actually doing a podcast about this, is that you take somebody like uh, Cedric Mullins, who was, I had it up here, he was drafted in the, you know, came from a small town uh, in Georgia. Um, where was he drafted? I drafted in, in 2015. But uh, so the whole point was that these guys don't get paid anything. They right. get paid $5,000 a year. Yeah, if, they, uh, if they're a top pick, they get a starting bonus. Outside of that, you're right, they get nothing. Yeah. And again, we have entire rosters at Norfolk, at Bowie. You know, give these guys an opportunity to get paid. I mean, this is a, a, an opportunity for them. And I think the fact that, you know, no, 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 we're not ready to compete is, is really unfair to a lot of these guys. But that, that's that's a little bit outside the point. Uh, tomorrow night, we've got uh, Jorge Lopez on the mound uh, up against uh, left-hander Rich Hill. Uh, so if that's the case, then I imagine we'll see the uh, the same lineup uh, that we saw today pretty much. Uh, th does that bode well for you? Is that what you want to see from the organization uh, that, you know, it didn't work last – it didn't work tonight, but hopefully <laughs> it'll work tomorrow? Uh, well, maybe not, maybe not the way that you put it, but, but, but yeah, I think the lineup that we had today was the best lineup at this point that we can offer against a left-handed pitcher. Um, I think I, I would expect another low scoring game, right? I expect Jorge Lopez to pitch well. Um, I expect Rich Hill to pitch well. As, uh, I mean, his ERA of what a three this year. So I expect him to pitch yeah. well. As, um, and so I expect this is going to be another, you know, four to three, five to four, um, come down to to the bullpens. Come down to two outs in the eighth inning. Are we swinging at the first pitch changeup? I think it could be another 
type game tomorrow. So hopefully we can take advantage of our opportunities more tomorrow. So let, let's take a look at So so let's kind of go down the roster. You know, if we do kind of roll out the same guys, um, uh, let me see. I had that up here earlier. Cedric Mullins, Anthony Santander, uh, Austin Hayes. We'll we'll see Michael Franco at third. We'll see Freddie Galvez at short. Probably Pat Vileka at second, and uh, either Trey Mann Senior or Ryan Mountcastle at first. And the other one's going to DH. And then um, maybe we'll maybe the maybe they'll switch up catchers, and maybe we'll see Austin win. wins out there. Yeah. Give me one guy, one guy on the roster, one guy that you want to see something extra from or something different than what you saw tonight. <laughs> uh, I mean the. Okay, so I'll go with Cedric Mullins, actually. I know he's been super hot. We On his last at-bat, Cedric Mullins, I think, saw five straight curveballs cur cur against a left-handed hitter. I got a left-handed pitcher. Rich Hill likes to throw curveballs. <laughs> They're going to throw Cedric Mullins all the junk in the world. I would like to see Cedric Mullins adjust and be able to hit a, hit a, hit a curveball tomorrow and be able to get to, tonight. He went 0-4 with two strikeouts. Um, so I'd like to see Cedric Mullins get back on that that heater and have a couple hits tomorrow. Yeah. I'm, I'm right there with you. I think that, uh, it seems like the guys that on our roster, the guys that are home run hitters, and, and maybe this is just an obvious thing, but they're all fastball hitters. And so mm -hmm. what can they do when they're up against a guy that throws, you know, you know, off speed stuff, you know, how, you know, who is going to step up to the plate? I, I think Trey Mancini has proven that he can hit some off speed stuff. Yeah. I think we've seen a little bit from Freddie Galvis if, if memory serves, but the one, yeah, the one guy that I think is, is going to stick out for me is is Anthony Santander coming back from uh, that just horrible at bat in the eighth. Uh, is he going to have a better mindset, uh, and and is he going to have smarter at bats? Is what I'm going to look for tomorrow. Yeah, and he's a guy. I think that's a good call. He's a guy that's been playing really well um, post injury. Um, so you hope that in, if he's going to be the middle of our lineup hitter. Um, we kind of count, count, count on him to, dra to drive and runs. And so I think that that's a good call. Hopefully I bounce back from that poor last at bat. Well, Matt, you've been uh, gracious. I, I really screwed <laughs> the pooch uh, on the beginning of this podcast. No, this is great. Uh, you can talk Orioles for an hour instead of a half hour. I love it. <laughs> this was great. I appreciate the time. Uh, be sure to tune in tomorrow night. I'm not sure who's going to be able to host the show. Uh, I think your brother's actually out at uh, at a uh, Norfolk game. Is that right? In Jackson? I'm trying to get him to go see Kyle Bradish tomorrow pitch for Norfolk. I hope he does. I, I did see that the Bowie Bay Sox put out a tweet. They have a, an official gas can policy now that you can yeah. bring empty gas cans to the stadium. On uh, Tuesday, so Grayson Rodriguez makes his home appearance at Bowie. So, yeah. <laughs> That's going to be a lot of fun. I can't, I, I can't wait to see some of the tweets for that. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Uh, be sure to uh, rate and review, subscribe, and uh, thanks for joining us. See ya. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.